morning and welcome once again. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible near you. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that Bible. We'd love for you to uh, take that in and uh, use that, uh, our gift uh, to you. Uh, if you're first time with us or haven't been here in a while, my name is Mark and I'm one of the pastors here. We've been going through the book of Acts and we're to chapter 10 now. And uh, time does not permit us to go uh, through the previous nine chapters to recap. Uh, sufficient to say is this, is that from chapter one, uh, what we find out is that the gospel is, is expanding. That what Jesus has sent his people out to do is happening. And we saw it from the beginning of, uh, of the book of Acts in chapter two with the day of Pentecost, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And onward and onward and onward it has gone and we get to chapter 10. In chapters 9, 10, and, and 11, and 12, I should say all, all three of three or three and a half of those chapters, uh, could be called the Acts, of the Acts of Peter. If the whole book is the Acts of the Apostles, which that's the, the formal name, uh, these, this section would be the Acts of Peter. And last week we looked at chapter 9, and we saw the, uh, a double healing story, where we saw the healing of Aeneas and the restoration to life of Tabitha. Here today, we're going to talk about the, the conversion story of Cornelius and the Gentiles. And then in chapter 12, we see an escape story. Uh, in, in this section that we'll look at um, today, chapter 10, uh, we're going to see the, the conversion of Gentiles. Uh, Peter was told in Matthew chapter 16 by Jesus that he would give to him the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You might remember that passage. In the book of Acts already, through the ministry of Peter, we have seen the advancement of the gospel to the Jews at the day of Pentecost, to the Samaritans in chapter 8, and now here, some 10 years after the day of Pentecost, we see the Gentiles receiving the gospel. The gospel is advancing. Peter was involved in, in a great miracle in chapter 9, a greater miracle in the second part of chapter 9, and now here in chapter 10 could be the greatest miracle that Peter was involved in, the conversion of sinners, namely uh, the Gentiles. Pick it up with me in verse 1 of chapter 10. We see the first scene. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion that was known as the... Um, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God and with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror, which you probably would too, and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with, um, with, with one Simon, a tanner, who, whose house is by the sea. Verse 7, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants a devout, and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, Caesarea was 65 miles northeast of Jerusalem and about 30 miles north of Joppa. And that's where, um, that's where Peter was at this time. Uh, this, this place, Caesarea, this city, was a, an administrative capital of Judea. 
It was a military town that the Roman, the Roman army had occupied. Uh, the Jews uh, did not care for Caesarea. They deemed it a, a place of ungodliness. But here, Luke tells us that there's a man uh, of the Roman army named Cornelius. And we learn a couple things about Cornelius. One, that he was a captain in this army. Um, what, we, what we come to learn is that, that basically he was a captain of about 100 soldiers. Uh, and as such, as a, a Roman captain, he was a Gentile. Uh, he was influential in that position, and he was also wealthy. The commander or captain would, would have been paid well. Uh, the Jews would have likely resented him for both of those things, uh, even though verse 2 tells us that he was spoken well of, and we see some of the reasons why, his almsgiving being one. Uh, he is called here a God-fearer, or one who feared, uh, feared God, uh, which um, let's define that a little bit. What, what that means is that he adhered to the Judaism's, Judaism's faith in one God. So he believed in, he was monotheistic. He believed in one God and he obeyed the, the Ten Commandments. Well, as well as anyone could obey the Ten Commandments, right? And he gave generously. He gave, gave alms um, to, to uh, verse, um, verses 1 and 2 tell us about, about that. Um, which tells us something about his, his praying and uh, his almsgiving was that he was religious. Um, and though that's respectable, uh, we come to find out that that does not equate to righteousness. So Cornelius was a, a good guy. He was a good man. He's what many people would, would call a good person. If you saw a Cornelius, if you met Cornelius, you would think he is a good guy. Uh, but good does not mean godly. And again, we've noted this before, but sincere belief does not mean right belief. And just because someone is sincere or someone is good does not mean that they are certainly a Christian. He was a good man, but not a regenerated man. He was saved, but he was not, he was not saved, nor was he a disciple. What we do know is that he had turned from, from Judaism's, uh, to Judaism from paganism. Right? He had turned away from that. He's looking at Judaism. He's looking at the, the law, and he's, he's thinking there is something there. But what Luke is expressing is what one, one uh, writer says, the, that the gospel isn't just for the irreligious, but for the religious too. The gospel isn't just for the irreligious. It's for the religious too. It's for, it's for those who, who think that they're good enough. The gospel speaks to those people as, as well. In fact, before someone can ever even be saved, they must be lost. <laughs> they must know that they're lost. You could say in evangelism, you have to get someone lost before you can get them saved. Someone must know that they need Christ before they would ever reach out for Christ. So here we have a religious man, a man who knew something, who knew about the, the law of the, the, that Judaism practiced, and yet he does not know the God of Judaism. You might remember a story in John chapter 3, another religious man, another man who knew a lot of things. He knew, the, he knew the Old Testament, but what he wanted to know was how he could have eternal life. And he comes to Jesus, this is Nicodemus, he comes at night and asks Jesus just that, how, how can I have eternal life? Well, God comes to Cornelius here in a vision that we read about, and he caused Cornelius to see that, that he needed salvation. When we look at chapter 11 uh, next week, we'll see him use that word, um, uh, talking about being saved. As the vision comes, he, we see that, that God is taking note of, of Cornelius. He has seen what Cornelius is doing. 
He knows of his giving. He knows of his prayer. And his prayers, look at verse 4. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial to God. God's taking note of it. God's watching. God's paying attention. Those things did not save Cornelius, but God was taking note of Cornelius. Cornelius was then given instructions, and the instructions were to call for Peter. The vision here, note this, the vision did not save him. That's not what saved Cornelius. It directed him to someone who would tell him about the gospel. That is the evangelist Peter. Cornelius' conversion, as we're going to find, comes as all conversions come. By grace through faith. By hearing and believing on Jesus. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's how one is saved. Not through a vision, but through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus. And Cornelius needed to hear it, and Peter was coming to deliver it. Verses 7 and 8 tell us that Cornelius obeyed, and he sent men to go find Peter. So that's in Caesarea. Meanwhile, in Joppa, pick it up in verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop um, about the sixth hour to pray. Verse 10, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all animal, all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Then the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Uh, In this chapter, we find that both Cornelius and Peter encountered a vision while they were praying. Now, the the takeaway, the implication is not that if you pray, uh, you will get a vision. That's not the takeaway this morning. Uh, But it is this, that we can understand that in prayer, we are meeting with God. And if you pray, you are in the best place to get the best answers for the things that you are concerned most about. And so here, God comes to these two men. Luke is showing to us how God is preparing these men. Before salvation could come to the Gentiles, God had to prepare the messenger, that is Peter, to bring the message. Peter needed preparation because, here's the deal, he's a Jew. He's an Orthodox Jew. And what that means is that they would have seen the Gentiles as unclean. Ephesians 2 calls them aliens and strangers. And that the the law of Moses was a dividing wall. It separated them. Uh, The Jewish uh, prejudice, they were prejudiced against the Gentiles. This had to be overcome in order that the Gentiles could be brought into the Christian community and treated with equality. So this this evangelist had to first come to, to the understanding of the freedom in the gospel, the freedom that Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 2. We won't take time to, to go there right now, but the verses are 14 through 18 if you want to look at it. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18, where Paul tells us this, that through Christ, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. That by what Christ has done, Christ has made us equal, one. There is no Greek, there is no Jew. In the sense that that all are 
available. The gospel is available to all. There is no difference now between a Gentile and a Jew in God's eyes in regard to their need or access to the gospel. And so Peter has a vision. We read it in verses 11 through 15. And Peter sees a sheet coming down out of heaven with all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. That seems like a very strange thing to see. He was hungry, so that might explain some of it. Um, uh, Maybe you see food when you're hungry too. Um, But what God is doing more than that, what God is doing here is he's using animals to emphasize the distinction of clean and unclean animals because it was a major uh, distinction. It was a major problem, a major conflict between Jews and Gentiles. In fact, Leviticus chapter 11 tells us that the Jews, by law, were forbidden to eat of unclean animals. So here's a sheet of a bunch of animals, and these would be uh, unclean. And here God is not only reframing Peter's uh, view of what is clean and unclean as far as animals is concerned, but more fundamentally, what God is doing is he's communicating that, that nationality is not what makes a person clean. When he's talking about unclean and clean, yes, he's talking about animals, but there's, there's an application to this, and there's a point that Jesus is driving, or God is driving, that we're going to see as he interacts with Cornelius and the Gentile people. God was showing Peter that the Gentiles were not unclean in the sense that they were not outside the scope of the gospel. In fact, memo to all of us, uh, everyone is outside of Christ, uh, apart from Christ. Everyone is outside. Everyone is unclean apart from Christ. Becoming a Jew was not how someone would become clean. That was the prevailing idea. And so God is reframing and reworking this whole thing for Peter. Uh, But Peter reveals that that he does not get this. I'm going to have to draw the dots a little closer together. He's not getting it because um, when the command comes, rise, kill, and eat, verse 13, Peter responds, by no means, Lord, or surely not. Why? For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Some habits die hard. If you know a little bit about Peter, you know, Peter had a habit of this. There's two other times in the gospel where Peter responds to Jesus this way. By no means, or surely not. Him saying something, and the response of Peter is, no, no, (laughs) I'm not doing that, right? That doesn't work out very well. Didn't work out well for Peter. It's not going to work out well for, for us either. This went on two more times, right? The voice comes a second time, and God says, um, what I, or the verse says, what God has made, do not call uh, common. What God has made clean, do not call common. Right? So this is a, a threefold uh, uh, act, or a, th- a three-peat, if you will, right? He says it the once, and then it happens two more times. Remember Peter having any trouble with three, three times, right? <laughs> This, is, this seems to be a, a bit of a, a, a reoccurring uh, thing for Peter. Uh, Peter was holding on, though, to his religion. Right? I've never done that. I, I couldn't do that. I, I've, never, I've never eaten anything unclean. As if what he did or did not do is what made him clean before God. Brother and sister, what you do or what you don't do is not what makes you clean as if the problem is outside of us, not inside of us. You Listen, you do not sin. We are not, let me say it this way. We are not sinners because we sin. Rather, we sin because we're sinners. The problem is on the inside. What you put in is not making you a sinner. 
Him eating or not eating the, 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 the animals, that is not making him clean or unclean before God. Ceremonially, yes, we understand, but not before God. Not, not in, in righteousness. That's not how this works. One commentator says it this way. Although the vision challenged the basic distinction between clean and unclean foods, which Peter had been brought up to make, the Spirit related this distinction to uh, this distinction between clean and unclean people. And he's telling Peter to stop making that distinction. Like that, that's what God is doing. He is working to, as one commentator says, convert Peter out of thinking that the good news is for the Jews alone. That's what's happening here. That's what the vision is about. That's what God is doing in Peter so that then he can go to Cornelius. And in grace, God, God is doing this, right? And as Peter is, is trying to figure this out, God sends the company that uh, Cornelius sent to Peter. Look at it in verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had uh, had seen might mean, behold, men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. So even as, as Peter is trying to figure this out, uh, God has already sent the, the three men uh, from Cornelius to meet with Peter. And they find out where Peter lives and they stand at the gate because they're Gentiles, they can't go in. So they call out to him and uh, as, as Peter is trying to figure this out, they arrive, verse 19. And while Peter is pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So the Spirit speaks to Peter, and he tells him what has happened, and he says, Go without hesitation, or not doubting. Or some of your Bibles, well, they don't say this. Chapter 11, verse 12, when Cornelius recounts this, this is what is been, making no distinction. Go, making no distinction. Don't worry about who they are. I sent them. Don't make a distinction. Don't hesitate. Go. Later, we're going to find out that Peter gets it in verse 28. We'll get, come back to that in a second. But here in verse 21, Peter does it. So this is his first step in, in following God, in not making a distinction, not discriminating against these men. He goes. After all, the Spirit is the one who's sending him. You better listen, right? And so he went down and he inquires to them, what, what, why are you here? What, what, what do you what do you want? What's the reason for your coming? Verse 22, and they say, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the Jew, whole Jewish nation, uh, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Now, Peter gets the message. He gets the message of, of why they came and what, what they want. Right? There's no secrets. He understands who they are. Clearly, they're Gentiles. He understands who Cornelius is. But then we read this statement in verse 23. So he invited them into to be his guests. And that might seem like a throwaway line. It might seem like commentary on, on the story. But it's actually not a small thing. Uh, you must remember that the division between the Jews and the Gentiles was significant. Uh, the Jews had twisted the, the idea that they were God's covenant people, which they were, but they had twisted that into favoritism. They had twisted that so much so that they hated the Gentiles. In fact, they, they wanted to be separated from them and they developed 
They've developed things um, in order to keep them uh, apart, traditions that kept them apart. They had hatred for them. And so if you, you understand that dynamic, when it says that he invited them in to be his guests, that's a no-no. That's taboo if you were a Jewish person. It might seem commonplace to you and me to invite someone in. Like that seems like a regular thing someone might do. But it wouldn't have been for a Jew. It would not have been for them to invite them in. They were not allowed to, to go into a Gentile's house, nor were they to invite someone into theirs. Sharing meals with someone was, was a, a declaration. Uh, this kind of showing hospitality was a way to say, we, we have friendship, we have, we have fellowship. It was communal. So Peter is doing something pretty unusual here. Everybody would have known that it's unusual. This unusual welcome was actually a display that he was getting it. He was getting the gospel. He was getting what Jesus had come to do. He was getting love for neighbor even if they were outside of the circle. Peter was working out the implications of the gospel in the moment. So that's in Caesarea. Now the, 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 that was in Joppa, excuse me. Now, now we shift back to Caesarea in verse 23. The next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on, on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So this is maybe a two-day journey. And Peter arrives and he finds Cornelius uh, and some others waiting for him. And Cornelius had already rounded up people. Right? He had already got his friends together, his, his close relatives together to, to come in. Listen, Peter's coming. You, you're going to want to hear this. right? Even before he was converted, he was, he was inviting people in to hear from God. Right, that's, that's an amazing thing. Verse 25 tells us that Peter enters. And when he enters, Cornelius meets him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Verse 26, but Peter lifted him up saying, stand up for I too am a man. And so here's, here's Cornelius. He finally sees Peter, this apostle, and his response is to worship the apostle. Now, this is absolutely misplaced, but it does show a, a, a humility of Cornelius that he wants to learn from this, this man. But Peter's response is, don't worship me. Stand up. I'm just a man like you. In a couple chapters, chapter 12, we're going to meet Herod. And there's a, a moment when Herod is uh, giving an oration, a speech. And the people say, the voice of God. And Herod does not correct them. And you can find out what happens when you come back in a couple weeks. So, verse 27 Verse 27, and as he talked with him, he went, you can actually find that in chapter 12, but, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, right? And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection as uh, I asked then, why you sent for me? Peter gets it. Right? He is seeing the connection. He is seeing how the animals were not just about the animals. They're about a people. They're about how God views all people. 
Again, Peter is deviating from, from Jewish traditions and customs. We're seeing live in the moment the walls, the dividing walls of hostility, the division between the Jew and the Gentile. It's coming down in Jesus' name, right? It's practically happening. What Jesus did at the cross is now happening in real life. If God, um, if God does not, uh, if God does not, bring down those walls, right? If he does not bring down those walls for Peter, then Peter will not have a ministry here, right? And if he does it here and, and Peter understands it, then you and I need to understand it too. And as Peter's walls of discrimination were coming down, so too should our walls of discrimination. No one is outside. No one is unclean. No one is beyond the gospel. Christ has the power to save all people. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Peter then inquires about the reason they've sent him. Now, it might kind of seem obvious to us. Isn't that the reason they sent him? But they, he doesn't know all about Cornelius yet. So in verses 33, 30 through 33, Cornelius recounts the story. And he says, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house about at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa, ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodged in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. So he explains, this is what happened to me. This is why I'm here, why you're here. And after explaining that, he expresses something about the heart of the group. Look at it in verse 33. Now therefore, we're all here in the presence of God, to hear all that you have been commanded by God. They're ready. Right? They are ready to hear from God. Have you ever met somebody like that? <laughs> a seeker? I mean, they are seeking. These people are seeking. They are seeking the truth. They are just waiting for Peter to deliver. You know what? There are people seeking today. And they say, the world seems so secular. It seems so unchristian. It seems like Less and less people are coming to church. Listen to this. According to a 2019 Google data, what is the Bible? The question, what is the Bible? Is Googled more than 1.8 million times per month. Who is Jesus is Googled 1.5 million times per month. While questions like what is the gospel and what is salvation and what is sin all receive more than 300,000 search queries a month. People are searching. The question is, where are they searching? Searching Google probably isn't your best option. <laughs> I know a lot of us do it. The church of Google, right? No, right? We have a different place to search. And here, Cornelius and his friend, they, they're not searching outside. They're searching from someone who has God's word. They call for Peter. They call for an apostle to come and here, Peter gets another. And if you've been tracking through the book of Acts, Peter gets these opportunities, right? The, the question is asked of him. He's getting in front of these people, and he doesn't miss it. He's ready for the gospel opportunity. And here in verse 34, we see him proclaim the gospel. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, he opened his mouth. Why? Because the gospel is words, the gospel must be spoken because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Yes, you and I live out the gospel. 
We practice the gospel in the way we treat people. That's true. But the gospel message must be spoken if it's going to be believed. Christian, we must speak the gospel. The gospel is words. And what did Peter say? He says two things before he gets to the gospel. He says this, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation under anyone who fears him and does what is right is accepted or acceptable to him. Peter says two things. First, God shows no partiality, to which all of God's people say, Amen. God shows no partiality. Brother, sister, neither should we. The second thing he says is this. God accepts men of every nation who fear him and do what is right. Warren Wearsby says to fear God and to do what is right is a description of the Christian life. Righteous living is evidence of genuine faith in Christ. Now, these verses have led people, strangely, to conclusions that you can believe whatever you want and God will accept you. God shows no partiality, he accepts. So as if all, kind of all roads lead to God philosophy. Right? Some people have, have deducted that from verses like these. But Peter's words here are not a modern view of tolerance as the absence of distinctions. That's not what's going on. Because listen, these verses do not tell us that God accepts us as we are. You know that. We are not accepted by God as we are. You are not accepted by God as you are. You are invited to God as you are, but you are not accepted as you are. Why? Because there's a holy God and we are sinners. There's no way for you to be accepted by God on your own. So you are invited, yes, but the invitation is not to come and stay how you are. The invitation is to come and believe and be changed. Then you are accepted. And you're accepted in the righteousness of Christ, not your own righteousness. This is terribly important and a necessary distinction. God is not saying there's no, there's no difference. I accept everyone. What he's saying is the gospel is open to everyone. And yes, you come Sinner, come as all of us have to come. But we come and we do not stay the same. And God does not accept us as we are. John Stott helpfully summarizes this point by saying this. The emphasis is that Cornelius's Gentile nationality was accepted so that he had no need to become a Jew. Not that his own righteousness was adequate so that he had no need to become a Christian. God is not indifferent of religions, but he is indifferent of nations, end quote. The distinction is what you believe, not on the nationality that you hold. And that's what the Jews and the Gentiles were getting caught up in. Verses 36 through 43, Luke summarizes Peter's sermon because we are sure that Peter did not preach for eight verses, right? So, <clears throat> verse 36, Jesus is Lord. And for the world, uh, for the word that he, that, look at it in verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, 
He is Lord of all. Peter starts out to say, this is the gospel, and it's Jesus. Jesus is Lord. The way you have peace with God is through Jesus. Amen. That's true for us, too. Secondly, verses 37 through 39 speak of Jesus' earthly ministry. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. So he's kind of assuming that they know, and he's going to do a shorthand here. Beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, verse 39, and we are all witnesses that he did both in, of what he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Thirdly, verse 39 through 43, he speaks of Jesus' death, resurrection, and his return. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, that's the apostles, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead on his return. Number four, verse 43, forgiveness for everyone who believes. To him, verse 43, to him all prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Not only were the apostles preaching Jesus, but what Peter says is the prophets were preaching about Jesus, that they were pointing to Jesus as well. Why? Because it is through Jesus and Jesus alone that salvation comes. There is no other name given among men, uh, under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. It is only through the name of Jesus, and the gospel is for all. Why? Warren Wearsby says it this way. All men have the same creator, and all men need the same Savior. Finally, verses 44 to the end. While Peter is still preaching, while he's still saying these things, verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell on those all who heard the word. While he's still preaching. Can you imagine? This isn't the first time that Peter was interrupted, though, actually. If you go back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter is talking, he gets interrupted by the Father. A little bit later in that same chapter, chapter 17, Peter is, they're talking about the temple tax and God the Son, Jesus, interrupts Peter. And now here, he gets interrupted by the Spirit. The Spirit is active, the Spirit is moving and he falls on all who believe. And by, or all who heard, excuse me, when we say hearing, we mean also believing, not just those who were earshot of this thing, those who were believing, that's how salvation comes. Now, this event could be called the, the Gentile uh, Pentecost. You might remember chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell on the, on the people in Jerusalem and what occurred during that time. We see, very, we, we see similarities here too. We see that when the, the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles, the onlookers were amazed. Look at it in verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the guys who came with Peter, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. They were amazed. The, the people who saw this, the Pentecost in chapter 2, were amazed as well. What else? The, the, the spirit indwelled people were speaking in tongues. Look at it in verse 46. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. We saw tongues happening in chapter 2. And we're not going to go into a whole thing on tongues, but sufficient to say is this, that these tongues were languages. 
They weren't people just babbling things. These were actual languages. People could hear things in their own language. That's why they understood that they were speaking a different language. And number three, what happens after these conversions is baptism. Look at it in verse 47. Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This is the Gentile Pentecost. And with this event, it marks a new chapter in the spread of the gospel. You might remember chapter 1, verse 8, that tells us that, that they would be, they would be um, witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? We see these concentric circles as the gospel moves further and further out. And that's what we're seeing here in chapter 10. And as the Gentiles have received the gospel, as they now receive the Holy Spirit, we have this end of this transitional period of the church. The Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles all have access to the gospel. The gospel is for all. And all are one. All who come to Christ are one in Christ. We keep reading. We find that Peter stays around Caesarea for a little while longer, presumably to teach, to teach them and to ground them in the gospel. Here in chapter 10, we get a, a glimpse. It's 48 verses, but it's, it's short. And it tells us this about Peter, that he, he fulfilled the Great Commission in this way. Remember the Great Commission? As you go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to observe all things. That's what you see Peter do. And that same commission is for you and me too. As we go, we make disciples. Those disciples are to be baptized and to be taught the Scriptures that is the role of a disciple, is to make disciples. But don't let your familiarity with the gospel or with the commission lull you into activity. May God help us, help us to be faithful, to share the good news of Jesus, who is the Lord and Savior of all. Let's pray. Hallelujah. What a Savior. God, we are thankful for Jesus. And as we hear, as we see in these pages of scripture today how you were at work through the apostle Peter, a witness, a disciple who took what he knew and shared it with people who needed to hear. As he went, he made disciples, baptized, and taught them. God, I pray that that might be true for us. That would be true of our church that would be true of the, the individuals here today, that even this week, that you might give us opportunities to share as we go, that we might see people come to Christ, be baptized, and grow in Christ. God, would you do that even today, even right now, God, there are some here today who might not know you. We pray even now as they've come here and they've heard your word, they've heard about this Jesus who came, who died, died for our sins, buried and rose again and offers forgiveness to everyone who will come to him in repentance. God, may they know the forgiveness that's available through Christ today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.